I want you to go in your Bible with me for just a few moments tonight. And then I'm going to have Pastor Val come and lead us in communion and prayer. and Whatever else he feels led to do. But I want you to go to Psalms 92. And this verse has just been ringing in my heart. Can't get away from it. I want to talk to you tonight about triumphing through thanksgiving. Triumphing through thanksgiving. Psalms 92 verse 1. We're just going to read four of the verses. And this is what it says. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. And to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. And I will triumph in the works of your hands. Again, I want to speak to you for just a few moments about triumphing in or through thanksgiving. Notice the first part that it talks. That it starts out here. It's, a, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. In other words, it's kind of like this. In creation, when God created everything, when he made it, the Lord would look at it or God would say, it's good. It wasn't just because it's good in the sense that you and I, I, I know. For example, in a, in a couple of days or in a day or so, you and I are going to partake of some good food, all right? And, and the reason it's good, because we know those that are making it can cook, right? Uh, you, you know, we, we can't wait. We're already got, you know, our mouths are watering saliva and all this stuff. Just can't wait to jump in all that stuff. But the good here is deeper than that. When God looked at it and said it's good, it is now complete and able to finish and fulfill everything I made it to do. It's not just the right thing to do. How many knows that just saying thank you to somebody is a good thing? What Thanksgiving does when you say that, you acknowledge something that somebody has done for you. Whether they had to or not, it's just an appropriate Right thing, if somebody does something for you, give you something for us to say, thank you. It's an appreciation. But this is far deeper than that. I could take it and say it like this. Oh, how God it is for us to give thanks. I mean, that's really true. How God it is for us to give thanks. Remember again, Thanksgiving is acknowledging something that has been done to, for you or by, to you or for you by somebody else that was showing you their heart in some measure. You know, one of the things about Thanksgiving, we live in a very unthankful time. You know, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days, perilous times would be here. He went on to say men would be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They would be disobedient to parents. And then the next thing he turns around and say, says, and they will be unthankful. 
You know what unthankfulness reveals? One, I'm going to say it like this. It reveals, unthankfulness reveals a heart void of the Lord. It reveals an evil heart. Matter of fact, this is what unthankfulness will create in us. It will create in us uh, an entitlement that everything is to be given to us instead of us working, instead of us uh, operating in the plan of God. It will say, I'm entitled to this. That's why our world is in the place that it is. Look, look at the pattern through the scripture. Matter of fact, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there because I want to read it just, just right. He said, men, men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. Now they've got, they've got an, an, an unnatural pursuit of, of really their God. That they can buy this. That they, they want all of these things not realizing that God has given them everything. And then he said they're going to be bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parent. And when you're disobedient to parent, this is what it's saying. You're not giving proper honor. You're not showing the honor that's there. And then it went on to say they're unthankful. And when they become unthankful, the next part of that says they're unholy. So you are no longer operating like God. So God said, I created thanksgiving. Let me show you something else about what unthankful it is. And then I want to build on the thanksgiving part. In the book of Romans chapter 1, Paul says something. He says something like this. I thought I'd quote it, but let, let me just read it. Romans chapter 1. For you guys that are taking some notes. And it's about the 17th, 18th verse. He says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him. They did not glorify him as God. Watch this. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. The moment we become unthankful towards God, we change the very existence and the very, the very nature of who God is in our eyes. That's why he said all, he said, my wrath is going to be revealed because they already know by things that are made. But our unthankfulness causes us to become vain in our own thoughts. We start seeing ourselves as God instead of seeing his attributes and his characteristics of who he really is and how God really functions. So we're in evil times. If you want to know why people do the crazy things that they do and why they create all these idols, they have actually become very unthankful. Therefore, their minds has caused them to see the things of God in an unrighteous way. Now, let me get back to what real thanksgiving will do when we operate in it the way that God intended for us to do. He said it's a God thing to give thanks. And not only to give thanks, but to sing praises to your name, O Most High. 
I got to looking at that passage of scripture. Why is singing so important? You know, we come into our worship services. We come into our service. Singing plays a big part of it. What do we sing? Because it's just a religious thing to do. No, it has always been in the culture of man to sing out. Here's what singing does. It is really singing out of your spirit. Your innermost being is being revealed through those things, through those melodies, through those words, through those songs that are coming out of your mouth. It's not just religious activity. Activity. You know, even people can't sing. Whistle. Even people can't sing. Try to sing. They're in the car. They may be in the bathtub or whatever. And all of a sudden they're singing. You, you know, getting ready for getting ready for the day or whatever. You're getting ready and these songs are rolling out. Where's it coming from? We didn't have Miss Tanya. We didn't have Adam and all the rest of the team up there leading it. But all of a sudden it comes out of a person that doesn't even open their mouth on a Sunday morning. But you're revealing really your heart. You're revealing your innermost being, your soul. So he says, and it's God. It is a God thing for you to sing praises unto his name almost high. So if the person next to you, you don't like how he sings, just close your ears. Because God said he delighted in that. But it does help the rest of us if you don't sing too loud. <laughs> Hello. Seriously. Uh, you, you, you know, we've, we've come to find out sometimes we don't know why we do things. And I'm learning a whole lot in the last couple of months going to different churches. And, and with my son, Chad, being here talking to me, you know, about sound and lights and everything. And you all notice some of those things that they do. And sometimes I've heard preachers and I've done it myself. We go at things that we don't have one clue why it's done. You know why they drive the sound out up a lot in a lot of the bigger churches and a lot of churches why because people will not open their mouth and sing when they can hear the person next to them proven these are studies that have been made of what moves people and everything from lighting to everything the reason lights come down you say oh i don't believe you know i've heard preachers and i've probably done it myself but part of the reason is it causes people not to be distracted by movement that is around them everything has a purpose i just thought i'd throw that in it just thought it worked but we're to sing unto the lord Every day we need to let a song. That's why the scripture says, sing unto the Lord a new song. You know, there's a song in you that nobody else but you can sing. And it delights the heart of God when you sing it. You may not ever have a microphone. You may not ever be on a stage or a platform. But I'm telling you, when you sing unto the Lord, it is a delight unto the heart of God. And then he goes on to say, then he goes on to say, to declare your loving kindness in the morning. Yes. Now he tells us, it's good to give thanks and declare the loving kindness of God every morning. What is his loving kindness? What is he talking about here? It's interesting that Psalms 92, this is flat, whatever. Psalms 92 follows Psalms 91, right? In numerics, we know it's there. 
Psalms 91 starts out like this. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place in my heart and mind as I've studied this out and I believe this with all my heart. is not your prayer closet. It's not you in your car getting away from every place. It's not you hiding off somewhere where nobody knows where you are. The secret place of the Most High God is His covenant. That He has placed us in Christ. In a covenant relationship with the Lord. So if you're going to understand the loving kindness of God, you need to understand He's dealing with covenant. So the word loving kindness here comes from the Hebrew word hasid, H-E-S-E-D. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but, but it's hasid, and this is what it means. It means God's persistent, unconditional tenderness, kindness, and mercy, where God seeks after man with love and mercy. He said declare that every morning. Let me read that to you again. God's persistent, unconditional tenderness, kindness and mercy, where God seeks after man with love and mercy. And it goes on, the definition went on, as God went after Adam even after he fell. It wasn't Adam looking for God. It was God looking for Adam. And the voice of the Lord walked in the garden in the cool of the... Don't think for one moment God was surprised when Adam wasn't there. You know, we used to say this. I hear people say it all the time. Well, I found the Lord when I was 14. No, you didn't. There wasn't one of us found the Lord. You weren't looking for Him. We were lost in trespasses and sin. We were in the darkness. But He came looking for me. There's a song that me and, and John, the, uh, Chris, Pastor Chris uh, Strong's sister, uh, sang. My niece, we used to sing together years ago, a few songs. And it was a song that says, and he was seeking for me. Jesus came seeking for me. And that's what he's saying here. That persistent, unconditional tenderness, kindness and mercy, where God is pursuing after me. Then on the flip side of that, not in a negative way, but on the human side of it, it's that of a loving bride that is clinging to her new bridegroom. I'm dependent upon you. I'm after, I'm after you. I'm going to walk where you're going to walk. So he says every morning, we're to declare it's loving kindness. You have to understand something. We're in a covenant relationship. We got this idea that we fall, we've lost everything. No, you haven't. You haven't lost everything. You may have sinned. It may have messed with your heart. may mess with your emotions. It may mess. But the reality is you haven't lost anything. God is still there with you. All you have to do is say, God, I blew it. And get yourself back up and get in the race. He said to declare his loving kindness in the morning. Now look at the other part. And your faithfulness at night. He's still talking about the covenant promises. Man, every day. That's why me and my wife, me and Diane, she's not feeling well. That's why she's not here tonight. But we try to take communion. We don't do it every day, but we do it a lot. 
And But we do that, and many times I'll go through as I'm leading that, and I'll remind us of some of the covenant promises. God, you said you would bless my bread and water. God, you said you would take sickness away from me. God, you said that my enemies were your enemies. God, you made a covenant with me that I will fulfill my days. You made a covenant with me. There is going to be no barrenness. How, how in the world can a man be barren? In other words, we're not going to abort the things that God put in our heart because he's determined if I will work with him and follow him through that what he put in my heart will come forth. He said, declare his faithfulness. Declare his faithfulness. I believe that's how the psalmist David encouraged himself. You know, if you want to, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, you know, the only people that really get discouraged are Christians. Well, probably not the only ones that get discouraged, but we quit. We just bail out. I, God didn't answer me, so we quit. All the other religions of the world, they die for their faith. Except believers. We bail out. We get, ah, oh, he didn't answer me. He didn't move it with me. He didn't do this. Oh, listen, friend. Listen, God's done more than what you can imagine. I believe when the scripture a few weeks ago, I talked about David encouraged himself in the Lord. You remember when David went before Goliath and Saul was telling him, hey, you're just a kid. What did David do? He said, hey, God gave me strength to deliver that sheepfold from a lion and from a bear. And if he did that there, he will do this here. That's why it's important. I don't care how many times you tell the testimonies. I tell people only got two or three and I have to keep repeating them. And I have to keep adding a little something not to be off track. But I got to make them sound like they're brand new today. But it may be my story. It may be my story. When my lawnmower was out of gas as a kid and I didn't know. I was too scared to go to somebody's house. My dad wasn't coming back for a while. See, you wasn't there. But I reached down because I'd been taught in the name of Jesus anything was possible. I said, lawnmower, you're going to run. I pulled that rope. It spit. I said, in the name of Jesus, you're going to run. I finished my lawn with no gas in that mower in the name of Jesus. Now, you may not believe that. You weren't there. I was. And I'm just like a 12-year-old kid. Yeah. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk. God, if you can do that back there, I don't care what it looks like here. You're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Talk about what he, he said at night. He said at night. Why does he say do this every morning, every night? Because I want to tell you why. You've got an enemy that's talking to you every morning and every night. There's an enemy that says, I'm going to overthrow you. There's an enemy that says, I'm going to kill you. What did they do to us during COVID? Every morning, first thing you hear, the first headlines of every newscast in America and the world was. So many people died with COVID and so many people have it and the hospitals are full. Last thing you heard at night, first of the headlines at the 10 o'clock news. How many people died today? How many people got sick again? How many hospitals don't have enough room? And we were all fearing. That's what we heard for days. You got an enemy that's talking to you every morning and every evening. And he won't shut up until you begin to get bigger in him. Till you get... Bigger in God. It's making God bigger 
than your enemy when you remind him of what he's done. He said, listen, he said, declare his loving kindness in the morning and his faithfulness. God, you made a covenant with me in Christ. I'm telling you, we need to visit this stuff. I really believe it, Charlie. We need to hear it over and over and over and over again. So many times we're looking for new things. I don't think it's about anything new. I think it's about doing what God's already showed us is true. I heard Ken Copeland the other day. I've told several people this. I was listening to Ken Copeland. He was up in Iowa, I believe. And he's doing a believer's convention. You know what he's preaching on? He's preaching on the basics of faith. I mean, the very ba- the basics, the beginning, the starting points of faith. He's been in ministry over 60-something years. And Miss Judy, he's not afraid to go back and teach the people the basics of faith. And then he makes a statement that really caught my attention. He said, who's playing the World Series? I thought Houston, the Astros, and Phillies are. He didn't even make mention of their names. He said, you want to know who's playing the World Series? It's the best at the basics. Those that are doing the basics are the ones that are winning. The ones that are triumphing. They're the ones that are overcoming. I'm here to declare to you tonight, church. Declare the goodness of the Lord. And then he said, on an instrument of ten strings on a lute and on the harp with a harmonious sound. Well, pastor, I don't play guitar. I don't do a flute. I don't do any of that stuff. Don't get hung up there. He's talking about make yourself a worship unto the Lord. Make yourself a worship unto the Lord. Make yourself a worship unto God. You you know why it's hard for us sometimes to worship in here? Because we're not worshiping through the day. I'll be honest with you. Because worshipers worship. That's what they do. They don't have a problem When you are worshiping, nobody has to prod you. Nobody has to move you. And it doesn't have to be your sound or whatever. You just come in and get into the flow of worship. Make yourself a worship unto the Lord. And then he said, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. It's not about my activity. It's me finding out what God is doing and aligning myself to what the Lord has said. I think so many times I'm trying to find the will of God. I'm trying to find the will. Well, what is God doing now? I, I feel that as a church. I was talking to somebody earlier. and said, hey, do you have some of the old prophecies from Kim Clement and some of the prophets over the region from years past? Well, some I do. I, I got a few things wrote down. Maybe some of you do. I, I'd be happy to see it if, if you got. But, you know, I, I know I could rehearse all that. And I'd love to hear it. And I'd love to hear the prophets. But what is God doing right now? And that's where I got to find it. Because he said, your work. Will make me glad. And then he said I will triumph. And that word triumph there means. To greatly rejoice. In the works of your hands. You will cause me. To greatly rejoice. In the work of your hands. It's a God thing. For us. To give thanks. My friend Mark Duplantis. Has told me numbers of times over the year. Because Mark would call me up. I said, Mark, how's it going? He said, man, it's good. I'm busier than I've ever been. He said, I've got stacks of invitations. He said, I can't get to everybody. Stacks of invitations. 
And I'm thinking, dude, I've got guys begging me for a meeting. And you got more meetings than you know what to do with. I said, man, you ought to be thankful. And he's always told me. He said, pastor, that's the reason. I've got stacks of invitation. Because he said, I've always lived a life of thanksgiving. It's a God thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Pastor, come take us from here. I'll tell you what, God, if you were listening, he really spoke to our hearts just now through pastor. And so much so as it relates to the communion. Most always I use Paul's teachings on it out of First Corinthians chapter 11 and we'll go there. But the depth of this, it almost took my breath a while ago when God was talking and speaking to our hearts. And I hope to bring out some things that he just dropped into my heart and then you weigh them out. If you have a question about them later, get a hold of me. Come and see me. Let's talk. But I want you to first get your bread. In verse 23 in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Now, let me put something out there to you for that. Paul wasn't there. He was nowhere near there. In fact, he was at that time already coming against anybody who was followers of Jesus. And yet Jesus took Paul into himself and began to teach him the value. You see, because Paul was a man trained as a Pharisee who understood the covenant of the law. And for him, in his training and in his life, the covenant of the law took precedent over life. And so for him to make any kind of a shift from that legalistic mindset of the law of Moses was a drastic thing. So he says, the Lord told me, the Lord gave this to me. I received this from Jesus. And he said, he took the bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we have our bread. Now, there are those who believe in transubstantiation, which means you put this bread in your mouth and it turns into the literal body of Jesus. We don't believe that. We believe it's representative of his body. And we believe that as we take of this bread, it stirs our heart. For those of you who are watching online, 
I want you to grasp the full import of what the bread's about. Because he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Then you go back and you say, uh, Peter said it, by his stripes we were healed. By his broken body we were, past tense, done deal, healed. We were healed. What you have represents a fragment of that broken body that reestablishes it in us as a complete body. So he says, remember me. In essence, remember what it is I've done. Remember what's happened. Remember what it was about. Remember all of the things that have to do with it. Look at what I'm doing. And then take it to heart and take that bread and remember what it is that you're taking in and join your hearts together in a manner in which is foreign to the world. It's a kingdom thing. And when he had given thanks, he took it and he broke it and he said, do this. Same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This will do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Then he goes on and he says something. Therefore, whoever eats this bread, drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what's he talking about? So if you eat it in an unworthy manner, in essence, what you are doing is reestablishing the whole process of him being crucified and his blood being shed in an unthankful and an unrecognizable and an illegitimate manner. Because if you flip back one chapter into 10, he says you can't eat of the Lord's table and at the same time eat from the table of demons. In chapter 10, he says, says you can't do that. We can't partake of demonic stuff and then partake of the Lord's stuff and say it's all okay. So Paul is relating that same thing he just said in chapter 10. He's bringing it over here and he's saying, look at this thing the way it ought to be and realize, examine yourself. How is it that you partake of me? Not just right now, but how do we partake of Jesus on a daily basis? He's always in us. Pastor was talking about, you know, you wake up singing. Sherry will tell you, I'll sing songs and she'll look at me. Where did that come from? Because it might have came from the 50s. It could easily have come from the 50s. And it'll just be singing and I'll tell her, well, you know where it comes from. I didn't think it up. It just was there. It just started. Because I'm partaking of him. But he's also partaking of me. The Bible says he rejoices over us with singing. He jumps up, spins around over us with singing. He doesn't even require me to do the jump up and spin around anymore, which I'm quite grateful for. 
but he rejoices over us with singing. So we examine ourselves. Do we have anything in our lives we need to just put aside, put it asunder, forget about it? I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm not talking about stuff that, you know, well, that's going to send you to hell. I lived in my first 30 years of my life. Everything I did was going to send me to hell. At any moment, if I had stopped breathing, I'd be in hell. It didn't matter how many times I'd gotten saved. Because it only took me five minutes after getting saved to mess up that would send me to hell. Under the doctrine of the legalism that we could never be free in. My friend Charlie over here, how many of you saw his uh, Facebook post? For those of you who are finally cutting down the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I may not say it exactly the same. You're cutting down the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Be sure you don't whittle it up and make a halter out of it so you can hang your robe of righteousness on it. Now, are we any of us ever worthy in the natural? Can anybody answer? Are any of us ever worthy in the natural to even consider a really bad tasting whatever plastic dissolves in your mouth thing they call bread? Well, the answer is no. So we depend on, absolutely rely on the fact that Jesus said, I did it for you. I didn't have to earn it. I don't have to do anything about it, except I do have to acknowledge what it's about, who he is, and what it is he's given me. Because if I will acknowledge who he is, what he's given me, how he's given it to me, and what he went through to get it to me and to get it into me, I can celebrate. And I can rejoice. And I can walk in a way that the world is, is it's foreign to them. Unless they watch us and they say, what is it about you guys? So we have our bread. But I want you to get this next part about the blood. Because he said, this cup is the new covenant. Communion is not Passover. They ate the Passover meal, but when they took communion, Passover meal had already been taken care of. Then Jesus brought out this and said, this is a new covenant. In essence, we completed the old so that I can introduce the new. I completed the old and I'm going to finish the completion of it in a few hours coming as I go to the cross and I go to the grave. And I'm doing it so that I can usher in and release the new. So rather than the letter of the law which kills, I'm now going to be filled with the spirit of the law which is life everlasting in Christ Jesus. And that's what comes through communion. And how many of you know, you were born with God DNA in your life. Every person. That's why Paul wrote to Rome, 
And he wrote the letter that Pastor just told us about that he's given it to us. We, we, we were mindful of him from the beginning because his DNA is in us. Now, there are perversions that have happened by demonic realms. But every human being has a bit of DNA that is God DNA. How many of you have seen, I don't know what they call that. Is it the, like the chromosome thing that's in the shape of a cross? The very inner part of every micro cell that makes up DNA has in it this, whatever it's called. And it actually is kind of, a, it's in the shape of a cross. Every human has God DNA, and all the human has to do is recognize the God of the DNA and receive what he has for us, and he cleans everything else up. So when we talk about taking the blood, you can't take a blood transfusion unless it's your type. Now, there are some things they do, and I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. I've got doctors here, and they can tell me about it later if they want. I'm really not interested to sit down with you and go through all of that. <laughs> but there are certain rules in blood that if you do it outside of that rule, it'll kill you. So what does Jesus say? You already have the proper DNA in your system from my father that you can partake of my blood and it will bring life and not death. You've been given the DNA. It's not a problem. You already have the blood type because it comes from the father. And now my blood will easily enter your blood and purify you and make you whole. And all the other junk's are gone. All the other junk's are gone. Isn't he marvelous? Isn't he marvelous? So we take the bread. And Jesus, I thank you that you submitted your body even to the cross, to be broken so that you inside of us establish health, establish strength, establish wholeness, and give us of you. We thank you as we eat this bread tonight and take the blessing of it, of the wholeness and healing that you have promised us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm getting something. I actually have said some things I didn't know. Which is why I told you if you get a questionable thought about it and you want to talk, well, I'll talk with you. But he did take the cup. Knowing what he was, what was ahead of him.
stating that he endured the cross because he knew his expectations were high and what was set before him. And that was what was set before him was this thing we call a glorious bride that he washed us. He cleansed by his own blood. He cleansed us. Paul said it in Ephesians that he might present us to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. That means there's got to be some real transformation in some of our bodies by the time this all comes out. Because the wrinkles have turned into waves. You say, well, how can you be funny at communion? I'm not being funny at communion. I'm talking about the goodness of our God and what Jesus has done for us. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame not necessarily for himself but knowing that you and I are the ones who would carry the shame if he didn't so he did so I thank you Jesus I really thank you Jesus for the blood that seals this covenant and establishes our hearts in you it seals the deal, Lord, that you intended for us. And we are not going to be negligent of this great salvation. But we are going to rejoice like we've never rejoiced before. And we're going to carry it through on a daily basis. Walking in joy. Walking in liberty. Walking in freedom. Celebrating all that you have done because we have had a transfusion of your blood. We are saved by, we have one Father, one God, one Lord. We are of one blood. Your blood. It's the seal that draws us to you. It proves we have remission of sin. It establishes that the Father does not judge us by us, but looks at us through you. And has sealed us as his own because he looks through you to see us. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the cleansing blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the life-giving blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the empowering blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the love by your blood that we receive now in Jesus' name. For those of you who are watching online, I trust that you receive the healing that you need right now as you partook of the communion elements. I trust that you did. I trust that you did. Those who needed the comfort of love. I mean, we got families who need comforted right now. It may be Thanksgiving season, but a lot of people over this 
world and even in our community are struggling. And they need the comfort of love. Communion brings the comfort of love. Can I do one more thing and I'll turn it over? It came to me while ago. Some of you might remember. I, when I, I grew up going to church camp pretty much every summer over in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Yeah. And we'd sing, let's talk about Jesus. The King of Kings is he, the Lord who reigns supreme throughout eternity. The great I am the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Let's do that. Let's talk about Jesus, like Pastor was saying. Let's talk thankfulness and joy. God bless you. Praise God. Let's stand together, can we? Wow, what a great, great word. You received tonight. Thank you for being here. I want to bless you tonight as you get ready to walk out. Would you just put your hands up towards the Lord like you're going to receive? You that are at home, do the very same thing right where you are. I bless you in this Thanksgiving season to know and to recognize the hand and the power of God like you have never, ever seen and ever known. I bless you to know him in a depth of his love and of his grace and mercy beyond what you could ever imagine. I bless you to walk in the fullness of that covenant that he made. I bless your home. I bless your family. I pray and declare that this Thanksgiving season, as you sit with your family, that where there has been, where there's been strife, where there's been broken things, that it is healed and mended, that families are totally restored and made whole in this moment of time. And when you walk out of this Thanksgiving, you'll walk out with a greater appreciation to look back and say, only God could have done such a thing. I bless you tonight in your health. I bless you in your wealth and everything that you put your hand to. May it prosper now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.